0: Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast, I'm your host Manpreet aka MMA Lock of the Night and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 62 headlined by a flyweight fight between Alexa Grasso and Viviani Araujo, Uh, I believe this was a short notice main event if I'm not mistaken Uh, probably 2 or 3 weeks. I can't recall off the top of my head which w- what was actually supposed to be the main event here. Uh actually it was uh Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland which was supposed to headline here. Now that fight got pushed back. I believe uh Sean Strickland had some sort of hand infection or finger infection or something that pushed him out of the fight, but now that fight has been rescheduled for the last fight night of the year which I believe is going to be December 17th. But They managed to elevate a uh, women's matchup here. And, you know, a lot of people are kind of thinking wondering why but alexa grasso has really put together a decent uh, winning streak right now and she was a fighter that the ufc was very hyped on when she first came into the ufc from the invicta scene and they were hoping that she could be that mexican star that they've been searching for years and years and she did hit a hiccup of, uh, at one point in the ufc but now she's strung together a couple victories and this is a prime spot for her to get some big eyeballs on her and hopefully she can deliver with a big performance here against a very tough opponent like V. So I'm excited that the UFC is finally back, right? The last three weeks, we've only had one event but now begins a solid stretch of UFC events coming up now we got from October 15th all the way until I believe November 19th is the last event during the stretch so a full month of events coming your way then we got a week off and then they give us uh the three last events of the year and then we got a full roughly month off between December 17th to uh January 14th so make sure you can ingest all the MMA you can get in your system right now because there will be very little of it over the next uh, coming months so before we get into the actual breakdowns of the card, I do quickly want to go over the last event to recap. It feels ages ago now, but the last event that we had was on October 1st and it came out as a very solid winning event for you, boy. Let's start off with the one loss that we had on the card. It was a one and a half unit play on Christoph Jotko at minus 118. I can still never seem to figure out the Brendan Allen thing, but he was definitely the side this weekend. So shout out to, or that weekend, shout out to anybody that was on. On Brendan Allen there uh, but I really expected Jotko to deal with the BJJ of Brendan Allen deal with the wrestling keep this fight standing and utilize his superior striking unfortunately Allen was able to get the fight to the ground and from there shortly thereafter he was able to get that choke so good win for Brendan Allen tough L for us there but luckily the rest of the night was all dubs We'll start off here with the props. We had 1.35 units on the under 2.5 on the Joaquim Silva and Jesse Ronson fight. Seemed like it was a little bit of a sweat early. And then in that second round, we saw Silva actually get that finish. So good win for us there. That profits one unit. The other violent spot, which probably could have been in the lock of the night play, two units at minus 155 on the under 1.5 in the Randy Costa and Guido Kennedy fight. That's why you bet the under and not the Randy Costa chalk. I feel bad sincerely for anybody that uh, ate that chalk on Costa and was confident about it. I hope they tuned into my show to, you know, have me kind of warn them about that that issue uh, and instead took the one and a half. So... Two-unit bet there, profits for 1.29 units. Very happy with that result. Next up was uh, one-unit play. Actually, we'll go with the dog of the night and the lock of the night. Dog of the night play, one unit on Daniel Santos at plus 162. I remember the lead-up for that uh, event. Everybody was like, hey, John Castaneda is the side. John Castaneda is the lock of the night. Make sure you uh, get in on that. I'm like, you know, pre-tape, I kind of lean him. I was very impressed with his performance against... um, uh his performance against miles johns uh where he came in as a big underdog and sprung the upset but daniel santos was a completely different beast and we saw him showcase you know very good durability in that first round and then in that second round came back and absolutely put the whooping on john casaneda being able to allow us to cast that plus 162 ticket for 1.62 units on the dog of the night play lock of the night play Comes through once again for your boy. I believe that's seven in a row now. Seven straight lock of the night plays whenever I played them. Five units on Hani Barcelos at minus 230. Looks mm, so easy as Trevin Jones really had no success in that fight. And Barcelos was able to control it from minute one to minute 15. Complete shutout there. Beautiful performance and comeback performance from Barcelos after that two-fight slump that he was on. And then lastly, in the, in the main event... We had to take that value shot on Yan Nana 195, and it comes through. That's why you have to look at odds whenever you bet fights. Mackenzie Dern, if she was the underdog, I'd probably take a shot on her, considering her uh, skill advantage on the ground, and she did, you know, have some good moments. She had a 10-8 round in there as well, possibly couldn't have even been two 10-8 rounds for her, but... That's why we take the value shot on Yan Nan because she was the far superior striker. And she showed great submission defense. You know, it seemed like she was she knew exactly what she was doing on the mat. It seemed like Team Alpha Mo had her on the mat and had her, uh, you know, drilling the, the submission defense and how to stall and how to make sure that Mackenzie Dern was not able to get the finish. And she did it with such success. So we were able to cash out, cash out 1.95 units there on the main event. So all in all, plus 6.53 units for a 50- 55 percent roi very happy with that uh, again only missed on one bet we went five and one on bets that night uh, could not be more excited especially with this continuous run that we've been on since april you know trying to lead this charge all the way to the end of the year uh, trying to crack you know this is some lofty goals i'm sitting at about 24 units of profit i believe on the year i want to try to crack 50 You know, I'm not going to overextend myself by betting more or betting uh, more frugally. I'm just going to try to stick to my game and doing what I've been doing since uh, since April and just stick with it. And hopefully that can get us over that 50 unit mark for the year. But slow and steady wins the race. So very happy with that performance there. Quick shout out to everybody that signed up for the Patreon. Uh, it's been you know a very solid ride over the last several months, like I've been saying. The numbers are continuing to get back up to where they were, uh, late last year. Obviously, took a little bit of a dip due to the uh, the unfortunate run that I was on, but. Things have been going very smoothly so far, and people have been uh, trusting your boy once again and getting back on the Patreon. If you want to be one of those folks as well, it's as low as $5 a month. Link in the description below. You get early access to my best bets and props article to let you know where I'm at even before I end up recording the podcast for the public. Uh, we got a great Discord community in there as well. We got a pay-per-view parlay for the patrons where every pay-per-view i put out a survey uh, i let people vote on their four best uh, money lines or over-unders and then i parlay the four most popular ones put five percent of my patreon earnings onto that if it hits the winnings go to a a random patron and uh yeah it's just my way of giving back to you guys and appreciating the support that you guys have been showing your boy over the last several years so uh check out the patreon link in the description below you already have my bets on there as well already got three plays for this upcoming card let's see if you guys can dice them by listening to the podcast or if you just want to see what they are you guys can check out the patreon because they're already posted there as well all right let's not waste any more time let's get into this uh, 11 fight card actually it is a 12 fight card uh joe anderson Brito versus lucas alexander just got announced uh you know, less than 24 hours ago uh, no odds on it yet but uh, once the odds do come out I will be updating my best bets and props article on the Patreon and then also you guys can hear my thoughts on it on propping you up on Thursday with Cody and then the Ultimate Wayne show on Friday uh, don't have my guests lined up for that yet but that's where you guys will be able to hear those breakdowns if you're not a part of the Patreon so once the odds come out then I'll be dropping the uh, breakdown for that all right First fight of the night it starts off in the welterweight division, and it is Mike Jackson. Yes, the truth. Mike Jackson makes his third walk now, to, or sorry, fourth walk to the octagon, going up against dead game Pete Rodriguez. Big odds here in, this, uh, in the realm of Pete Rodriguez. He comes in as a minus 675 favorite. On the flip side for Mike Jackson, you're looking at plus 500. Now, Mike Jackson you know, it, it wasn't really an, ex- an experiment as to why he's in the UFC. He's a thirty seven year old guy with a one in one professional MMA record, came into the UFC with an O and O professional MMA record, and it was all due to him trying to be in the CM Punk sweepstakes. Now Opposite of him was Mickey Gall and Mickey was obviously a much more uh, decorated jiu-jitsu player and he was way more ready for that opportunity than Mike Jackson was. And uh, the winner of that fight was going to fight CM Punk. Mickey Gall won that fight. He fights CM Punk. He beats CM Punk. But the UFC still wants to salvage what they can from Punk, so they match him up regardless with Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson puts on a clinic on him. Good wrestling, good striking, shows off his hobby Muay Thai game, which he uh, which is just that. It, it is pretty much a hobby for him to go out there and and uh, and train Muay Thai. He's had some Muay Thai matchups as well, but it's definitely not something that he makes the bulk of his money from. He's an MMA photographer as well, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm not sure what else he does outside of that. Um, that's all he has. He has Muay Thai, but it's not really with much power. There's not much to be worried about. He uses his distance pretty well, which is obviously advantages, uh, which is an advantage he's going to have in this matchup against Pete Rodriguez. But I think it's ultimately going to come down to the power of Pete Rodriguez, which should allow him to get his hand raised in this spot. Now, Pete Rodriguez Rodriguez, you know, he made his debut on short notice against Jack Dela Maddalena, and we saw the difference in skill set there right off the jump. Jack was able to bloody the nose earlier, Pete Rodriguez, and then eventually put him away halfway through that first round, getting his hand raised via a first round knockout. Beautiful work from Jack there, but it just showcased how limited Pete Rodriguez is. The reason I'm pointing that out is you can't be comfortable laying minus six seventy five on a guy like Pete Rodriguez. All of his wins have come in the first round. We have no idea what he's going to look like should the fight go into the second or the third round and mixing the fact that he'll probably go balls to the wall trying to get Mike Jackson out of there in round one. If he's not able to, I'm curious about how this fight's going to look in rounds two and three because Mike Jackson has shown you know, very raw skill set and very green skill set still but he can kind of roll with shots. He might be able to take some on the chin and keep moving forward. He might be able to outlast Pete Rodriguez in the first round and then put together a good enough game in rounds two and three to win that fight via decision. So the only way I'd look to attack this is maybe Pete Rodriguez round one. It's a little early in the week though to uh, get the odds on that specific prop. But if I was to play this fight at all, that would probably be it. Even the under one and a half is roughly around minus 240, which makes me a little bit skeptical but uh, i'd rather hone in on this specific prop which i think is going to hit here which is going to be pete rodriguez to win this in round one his power i think is going to be too much for jackson and even if pete keeps swinging at the head and he's not able to get jackson out of there he might be able to switch it up go to the body and that might open up some finishing opportunities for him as well so give me pete rodriguez round one but in terms of a money line perspective i'm passing All right, next up, we got the Japanese sensation Tatsuro Itaira coming in as a minus 230 favorite in his second fight in the UFC. He's going up against tough out CJ Vergara, who's coming in as a plus 195 underdog. And that's nothing new for Vergara as he's been a steady, you know, a pretty steep underdog in his first or at least his last two fights actually i should say last three fights on the contender series he was an under, he was an underdog to bruno cohea where he ended up getting a quick liver shot finish and was able to get his contract to get into the ufc first fight in the ufc was a tough fight against Ode osborne where he was outpointed in the first two rounds by the kick and lengthy striking of oday osborne but cj put the pedal to the metal in the third round but it was too late at that point in time he ended up losing a decision that night in his next fight against Clayton Rodriguez he came out with that same fire that he did in the third round of the fight prior to that and he was able to really put the pressure on Clayton Rodriguez really work him to the bone very close fight went to a split decision but the side the the obvious value side ended up being on CJ Vergara as he landed uh, or he ended up getting his first win uh, in the UFC as a massive underdog now he's looking to spring another upside here against another uh, a guy that a lot of people expect a, a lot of potential from in tatsuro tyra but i think that tyra has the the a similar enough striking game to ode osborne in terms of using his length and his kicks but mix that in with solid jiu-jitsu great control and an, am- an amazing back take as well excuse me which should allow him to kind of just go out there and cruise and win the fight that he needs to I did fade Tyra in his UFC debut against Carlos Candelario, but I was a little bit more confident in Candelario than I am in Vergara due to the fact that he had a solid striking game and everything that I had seen on tape from him in terms of dealing with guys with really good jiu-jitsu games, it held up. You know, he would uh, very much defend well against these guys, reverse positions, get on top, do his own damage, and he was successful in doing some good things against Tyra, but unfortunately, Tyra was able to get the positions, land big shots, and ultimately get his hand raised via decision that night. Uh, I I think that Tyra will be able to control this striking here, using his kicks to kind of keep C.J. Vergara at distance, and then whenever there is an opportunity for him to shoot, get that double leg, maybe transition to the back, he should be able to do that, and I think he's going to be able to control The majority of this fight doing just that so i do like some tyra here the the jury is still out in in terms of how good this kid will actually be which is why i'm not running to the betting window to bet him at minus 230 but this is definitely a spot that he should go out there and establish that potential that a lot of people believe that he has this is a perfect matchup for him to do so. As long as he can endure that that pressure style of Regara from the jump, and you know, use that against him. Maybe uh, shoot under one of his uh, uh, forward pressure movements, one of his combinations that he's moving forward with. If Tyra can shoot under that, use a double leg, he should be able to. Um, uh, really uh, get, put a, get his grasp on Vergara, get a jujitsu going, get this fight to the ground, maybe find a submission. But I do think it's ultimately going to go the full 15 minutes where he can go out there and just grind on Vergara and win this fight via decision. So I like Tyra here, just not 100% sold on his uh, money line here at minus 230. Next up, we got a women's strawweight belt between Pieta Rodriguez and Sam Hughes. We got minus 190 on Rodriguez and plus 160 to return on Sam Page. Now, I'm a big Sam Hughes fan, right? Especially since he uh, aligned with Fortis MMA. If you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know that I'm a big Fortis MMA guy. I love their coach, Save Sayud. I think he brings out the best in his fighters, and especially a guy like Diego Ferreira back in the day who a lot of people were kind of just writing him off. Once he aligned with Fortis MMA, he really turned a leaf. He really became a much better fighter. And we saw it take him to another level that he wasn't at before. Now, we've kind of seen him cap off now and he has kind of hit a ceiling. Whereas Sam Hughes seems to still be in the the, 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 uh, the, the rising mode. The, uh, the fact where she's able to see uh, the majority of her potential and try to achieve it. You know, she has great pressure pressure. Her striking is average at best but it's her pressure and her wrestling that allows her to be so successful especially in her last two fights the second last fight that she had against Estela Nunez she was an underdog in that fight but she managed to endure that early onslaught from uh, Estella really start to put it on her in that second round and that's where you saw uh, Nunez really start to slow down and that's uh when we we really saw Hughes start to take over with her wrestling with her pressure with her striking as well and that ultimately broke Estella probably halfway through that second round and that's where uh, Hughes was able to pick up a decision victory after clearly winning rounds two and round three she was able to do the same thing against Elise Reed by getting close to 11 minutes of control time but I was surprised that Hughes was an underdog going into that fight glad to cash the underdog ticket on her as well but Elise Reed I think the the win that she got over Corey McKenna really made people believe that she was a much better fighter than she was but Elise Reed was a big dog going into that fight against McKenna for reasons unknown, right? A lot of people expected McKenna to get that grappling going and win that fight relatively easily, but Elise Reed had none of that. She was utilizing her striking much better. Her takedown defense looked better, but I think it was due to the fact that Corey McKenna is just not as good of a grappler as much people believe that she was. Sam Hughes, better grappler. She was able to get the fight to the ground, and that's how she was able to control that fight and pull off the underdog victory. I think she's going to struggle to do that here against Piero, though. Piero looks to be the better striker. She utilizes her power a little bit more. She has great leg kicks. And then her wrestling is definitely on par, maybe, possibly even better than Sam Hughes. So if Sam wants to try to grapple her, I think she's going to be dealing with the brick wall. If she wants to go out there and strike with her, I think she's going to be eating the brunt of the shots. My big question mark here is that I still want to see Piera go out there and fight a fighter like Sam Hughes to truly see the type of, uh, uh, like, if she can battle against adversity, if she can actually deal with somebody who's going to not go away that easily. Right with Kay Hansen, she dropped the first round, but she was able to come back in this uh, the next two rounds and win them pretty convincingly. But Kay Hansen, skill wise, not the greatest. Sam Hughes could definitely be live in this fight, and I do think the odds have to be slightly closer. You know, maybe minus one fifty ish Pieta Rodriguez, but still not enough value or meat on the bone for me to go out there and take a dog shot on the Sam Hughes side. I do like Pieta here. I do think she had, she outstrikes and outworks Sam Hughes here over fifteen minutes and wins this fight via decision. Plus 105 on the decision line, not too bad of a spot. If you can get that plus money, I'd probably take a shot. But I do think that uh, Piera is the side here. She'll land the better shots. She'll have the better moments. And I think that should be enough for her to get her hand raised via decision. All right, next up, let's talk about a middleweight fight here. Uh, A grappler's delight, if you want to say that, right? This might be a slow, drawn-out fight. If it was in front of a big crowd, they'd probably get booed out of the stadium. But being the mma nerd that i am i am very excited about it to see who can establish their dominance more considering both of these guys fight pretty much very similar we got jacob maukun coming in as a plus 125 underdog nick maximov as a minus 145 favorite i believe nick is the favorite due to the fact that he has a little bit more popularity on his name it could be that could be other things but it all could also be that i believe maximov is a higher belt level than jacob Malkun. but We've seen in MMA, it doesn't matter what belt level you are. As long as you can put your punches together, if you can dish out the damage, if you can pressure your opponent, if you can break your opponent, you should be able to get the victory. Now, I think both men, like I said, they pretty much do the same thing, right? Uh, Nick Maximov is striking, really needs a lot of work, just as Mal Coons does, but it's just good enough for him to get in on the hips of his opponent. And one thing that he does very well is he doesn't just give up on the double leg if it fails. He chains it together very well, gets the back of his opponent. From there, he works his way to the ground or gets on the back of his opponent and eventually controls them and and wins that fight. He's very durable. He had a lot of big shots from Cody Brundage in his UFC debut, but he was able to keep it together, get the positions that he needed, and that was enough for him to get his hand raised via decision that night. Jacob Alcun had a very tough... Go in his first fight in the UFC against Phil Haas, where he got starts within a minute in that fight, but since then has exercised his demons, if you want to call it that, right? Went up against Abdul Zak Al Hassan after that, similar opponent to Phil Haas, a guy who has big power in his hands and normally gets his opponents out of there in the first round. Malkun was able to survive that early onslaught, get the fight to the ground relatively quickly, and just grind on Abdul over 15 minutes, winning that fight relatively easily. Then he follows that up with a big performance against AJ Dobson where he struggles to get the fight to the ground in that first round, but in the second and third rounds does what he needs to do, gets the fight to the ground and really wears on Dobson winning that fight by decision. He had another very close fight in his next fight against Brendan Allen where he came in as a steep underdog, but he clearly seemed to be the value side considering how close that fight was. I personally scored that fight for Malkoon. It was a very close fight, but Brendan Allen gets his hand raised in that spot. Now in this fight, I expect it to be completely 50-50. There is enough meat on the bone for me to actually take that shot on Mal Kuhn here around that plus one twenty-five, plus one thirty range, considering I can he, I think he can make it competitive on the mat against Maximov like I also do lean him in the striking not so much because of a technical advantage that he might have which I just don't think is there right both guys in terms of striking there it, it's pretty much a wash if you want to call it that but it's the pressure it's the get in your face uh, type of uh, style that Malkun fights with which I think is going to eventually give him the advantage in this matchup I, I get it Maximov can do the same thing but Malkun really puts that pressure on his opponents gets them on their heels and from there he's able to get it into the grappling realm and get the get these guys to the ground from the ground that's where i expect it to be 50 50 right i the another reason why i lean the malcoon side is he just never seems to really settle for any uh positions right even when he's on his back he does a good job in terms of getting his butterfly hooks going and he creates enough space to either get back to his feet or create enough space that he can get to his butt and then get in on a single leg or a double leg of his own and reverse position from there it might be a little bit harder against a guy like maximov who's a high level bjj player as well but i'm expecting this to be back. And forth and if it's going to be a coin flip fight, give me the underdog in this spot and give me the guy that I think is just going to bring it a little bit more than Nick Maximov as well. So give me Malcoon plus 125 via decision as well. You can get that around plus 200. I love that as an underdog spot. All right, next up, let's get to a bantamweight fight here between Hafiel Asuncao and Victor Henry. Victor Henry splashing onto the UFC scene as a big underdog and beating a high-level opponent like Hauni Barcelos, which is why he is a minus 330 favorite here coming in against the plus 275 veteran Rafael Sanso. Now, Victor Henry actually bought in, I believe, 20 or 25 plus professional MMA fights before making his UFC debut, and not a lot of people gave him the credit that he deserved, myself included, going into the Honey Barcelos fight, and I was left ripping up my parlay ticket on Honey Barcelos. But Victor Henry, great pressure on the freak, great output, great volume, which allowed him to stay busy enough to cause Hani Barcelos some issues, which allowed him to win that fight via decision. Personally, I looked a little bit too much into that Dennis Levetrienev fight. I might be butchering the guy's name, but it was the last loss on Victor Henry's record. I looked into that a little bit too much and thought that, you know, if honey Barcelos, you know, a national champion wrestler uh, in Brazil, if he's able to replicate what Dennis did, this is going to be an easy fight for Honey But I just underestimated Howney's comfortability in terms of just wanting to go out there and strike with his opponent, which allowed Victor Henry to just get up on him on points, on volume, and that was eventually why he ended up winning that fight. Um, so again, I needed to look past that. I have sure looked at every other fight that he had where he's putting pressure on his opponents, getting the finish, and really just breaking his opponents in certain spots. Now here he is getting the flowers that he deserves against a tough out like a Suncel. Pre-tape, I won't lie. I was a little bit like, hey, why is the Sun So such a big underdog? But then you see the recent stretch that he's on, four straight losses, three of them coming via finish, which is, you know, maybe a sign of him declining. His durability is starting to decline as well. The guy's 40 years old, right? Before this four fight, losing streak that he was on, he'd only been finished once inside the UFC. So you got to believe that the age is starting to catch up to him and uh, younger guys might be able to get the better of him. Victor Henry's no spring chicken either though, right? He's 35 years old, but he seems to be closer to his prime than half yellow Suncel is. It seems like he should be able to go out there and do exactly what he did against Hany Barcelos. Be busier, stay on the striking. And I think if he, even if a Sunsaw goes out there and tries to go for a grapple-heavy approach, I just don't know if he have a, has enough in him at 40 years old to go out there and establish that type of game plan against a guy like Victor Henry. So I will be in on uh, the Victor Henry side here. Minus 330, sure you could possibly parlay it or even if you just want to go diving into the the props here via decision is sitting at plus 120 now victor henry on the regional scene has been a bit of a finisher but i'm just not sold that he has that power to put a sunset away right you got ricky simone big power in his hands big brooding wrestler he was able to get that knockout cody garbrandt we know one thing that he'll always have is that suspect chin but outside is is that big power that he'll always have and I believe those guys are much harder hitters than anything that Victor Henry will be able to put on his sons out here. So give me Victor Henry. I think he wins this fight by decision. Whether you parlay him, whether you take the decision, I think either of those spots still end up cashing. All right. Next up, we got another bantamweight bout here between Manna Martinez and Brandon Davis. We got minus 150 on Manna Boy manda martinez and plus 130 on brandon davis killaby i think is his nickname here now pre-tape another spot where i was thinking that brandon davis is probably a good underdog shot right people are going to just see that he got starched by denab at gorilla in his last fight and just assume that he's just going to be a pushover for a guy like martinez to just go out there and knock out but he's you know he uses his range decently has good kicks uh his jiu-jitsu is definitely a strong suit and if he's able to get this fight to the mat he could be a very live underdog but I think that Mona Martinez is just the better striker here. Now, he has the power and he could potentially clip Brandon Davis and knock him out. But I don't want to read too much into that Denabak real finish, as that was only the first time that Brandon Davis had been finished by punches in his entire MMA career. So can Mana replicate that? Absolutely. But I think that we've seen a more calm and composed Muna Martinez over his last two fights. Before coming to the UFC, he had never seen a third round. And everybody... Actually, sorry. The only time he saw a third round, he ended up losing that fight. So the widely accepted narrative was that Manda Martinez had a horrible gas tank. And I think he proved in his last couple fights that his cardio is really not that bad. If he can fight at his pace... If he can control his opponents with his power striking and kind of just keep them on their heels, he should be comfortable enough to just chop away at these guys, maybe knock them out or just go out there and win a decision like he did against Guido Canetti. I think that's what it's going to come down to here. The only reason I'm not playing Munda Martinez at minus 150 is the suspect takedown defense, right? It seemed like Honey or Ronnie Lawrence got him down whenever he wanted to get him down. And Ronnie Lawrence might be a better arrested than Brandon Davis, but it's usually the pace and pressure of Ronnie Lawrence that allows him to get get those takedowns. I'm concerned that Munda might not be able to defend those takedowns because if he doesn't, I do think this fight is heavily in favor of Brandon Davis. So I do like the the Muna Martina side here, though, still, as I do think that he will showcase enough takedown defense to keep this fight standing where he can implement his superior striking. And I think eventually he'll be able to find that knockout here over Brandon Davis, maybe in the second or third round. I, I think Davis is a solid fighter. Don't get me wrong. I think he is a guy that can get some bottom of the barrel type wins in the UFC, but I think he's just going to be outmatched in the striking realm here. I think he will eventually break. And I think Martinez will eventually finish him in this fight. Just the big thing to look out for is Martinez's takedown defense being tested. And if he passes it with flying colors, he's definitely a guy that I'll be looking forward to betting at a decent enough line in future, future matchups. But for this weekend, I'm just going to sit back and watch this as a fan and uh, see if I can bet him moving forward. But give me Martinez inside the distance, plus 240. Hopefully that can cash. All right, next up, we got a light heavyweight belt between Alonzo Menafield coming in as a minus 210 favorite. He's going up against Canadian, Latvian uh Misha Serkonov. He's a plus 180 underdog. Now, if this fight was put together three, maybe four years ago, I honestly think the line would be flipped. Maybe even Serkonov is a minus 150, minus 160 favorite, even. He is the much better fighter from an overall perspective. You know, his striking is good enough to hang, in my opinion. His jujitsu is far better than Alonzo Manafield's. And I think his wrestling is good enough to get this fight to that realm should he need it. The only question mark is usually that durability of Serkinov. When guys can put that big power on him, he wilts, he falters, and that's how guys are able to to finish him and beat him. But I like the fact that, first of all, Serkinov is going back to 205 pounds. That cut to 185 was not healthy at all. And I think that's the reason we only saw him down there twice, because he just couldn't really get it together. He landed five takedowns against Christoph Jotko in his debut at 185 pounds, but he just could not get enough success off from on top to keep him down or even get any real jujitsu going, uh, which is why he ended up losing that fight. I would say this, his cardio looked pretty good for a 185-er though, for a guy that was cutting to 185 for the first time in his career. But now that he's going to be fully healthy, 20 pounds heavier, maybe even even heavier than that considering he doesn't have to cut as much to get to 205 than he had to when he was at 185 so he can walk around a little bit healthier and heavier. With that, you know, as long as he can avoid that early big power from Alonzo Manafield, I think the tide significantly shifts into Misha Serkinov's room the later that this fight goes. So I like Misha here as an underdog. I really think that this is a spot where, uh, you know, we just have to worry about that early power. If you can get past that early power... It should be smooth ceiling for Misha. He is the far superior uh, fighter in this in terms of a skill set. You know what I mean? Alonzo Manafield has been really getting away with the big power that he has in his hands in a lot of his fights. And he's shown some decent things on the ground, too. But he doesn't look as good on the ground when his back is on the ground. He's looked better when he's been the one on top of his opponents and really smashing them from on top, like he did against Askar Mozarov, or even pulled off of Von Pru like he did against uh, Fabio Strand a, a couple fights ago. But I do like Misha Surkinov here. I do think he can eventually find that position that he needs to eventually get a submission too. So uh, Misha Surkinov inside the distance plus 240. But his money line alone is juicy enough for me to take a shot at plus 180. I love him in this spot. He might get starched and I might look like a dumbass for taking the shot on him here. But should he survive that early onslaught, he is a very live competitor to go out there and get that win. All right, next up, let's talk about another middleweight fight here, or sorry, not another, but uh, a middleweight fight here between Dusko Todorovic, who's coming in as a minus 195 favorite, and Jordan Wright coming in as a plus 165 underdog. Now, the first prop that everybody can even think of about taking with this fight is the under one and a half, which I believe is juiced up to about minus 200, minus 240 at this point in time, and for good reason. You know, Jordan Wright, big power in his hands. Uh, I believe the majority, if not, I think only one fight has escaped the under one and a half. Um, but the guy is big power, but he's also very fragile. He's almost become a meme at this point. Uh, and that's very unfortunate for him, right? The guy has big power. He's very explosive. Uh, he can definitely put the death touch on his opponents and put them out and put them away. But Dushko Todorovic is another guy that he could possibly find that power and find that chin of Jordan Wright and put him away as well. The big question mark here I have about Dusko is his striking defense. He always loves keeping his hands down. And I think that Jordan Wright is definitely fast enough and explosive enough to close that distance uh, before Dusko can get his guard up and uh, protect that chin of his, which is kind of suspect as itself. So I'm expecting early violence here. I'm expecting both guys to really go for it, knowing that if they can land their power first, they should be able to get their hand raised. So rather than taking a side, I do like the violence here. I do like the inside the distance. I do like the under one and a half. I think Jordan Wright is a live underdog in the spot. And I wouldn't trust Dusko Todorovic at a minus 195. So all week, you're going to be hearing people ragging on Jordan Wright. Just temper that a little bit, right? When you're betting, when you're when you're talking about money, when you're talking about putting your hard-earned money down on a fighter, don't be like the people that were like, oh, Mackenzie during one takedown is all she needs, and she's going to be able to get this win. So bet that minus 230. No you get minus 115 okay you take those types of shots yes you get minus 115 minus 120 and just go to Todorovic. okay i get it but this fight is much closer to 50 50 jordan wright could absolutely land that bomb too but similar to the randy cost and guido Canetti fight from the the last event the under is probably the way to go here because no matter who wins it's likely going to come early i am still going to go with Todorovich. i think he's the one that lands that big strike here and gets that finish first round knockout but the under is likely the play to go here all right, we got three fights left here. Let's get to it real quick. We got Askar Askrov taking on Brandon Royval in a flyweight fight. We got minus 240 on the Russian and plus 200 on raw dog Brandon Royval. Very fun fight here. Uh, Going to be plenty of scrambles as we expect and we always see from Brandon Royval. Now, Royval, I'll always talk about it. Skill set. His jujitsu is there. Don't get me wrong, but from like an overall skill set standpoint, he's never going to be the better fighter in his matchups. But it's the chaos that he introduces into his fights that swing those odds back into his favor. When he's able to be weird and and wild and unorthodox, it causes his opponents to kind of stress out and just be like, "I have no idea what to expect from this guy." Askar Askarov. He's going to be looking for takedowns, right? He might be the slightly better striker here, technically speaking. But the way he gets his best work done is when he's able to get opponents to the mat now as i was impressed with this performance against joseph benavides a guy who I had long thought was one of the best scramblers the ufc had ever seen even wec if you want to go back to those days but askarov kept up with him and he was able to get you know stay one step of ahead of him pretty much every single time and he dominated dominated that fight with relative ease the kai car france fight he just couldn't get kai to the ground he couldn't get that fight into his realm and kai was making him pay on the feet by landing the better strikes now, Askarov and Roy Val, that fight is eventually gonna hit the mat. But I do favor the the squirmy style of Roy Val. Askarov has had issues in terms of controlling guys on the mat. And if he can't control Roy Val, he's gonna find himself in bad positions. Even if Roy Val ends up getting the back of Askarov here and just rides it out for an entire round, that's one round that he's banked. So given the flimsiness of Askarov's top game, I do think that Roy Val is a live dog here. It's just I I might pull the trigger on him. I'm not 100% sure yet. But I I think that he is uh inept enough to to make this a tough fight for askrov to not allow askrov to cruise in this spot and i think that should allow Roy Vell to eventually find a uh find the spots that he needs to control long enough to bank at least two rounds to win this fight via decision i'd be surprised if he gets a submission in this spot but i think that he fights similarly to the way that brandon moreno was able to get that close draw against askrov in askrov's ufc debut um, obviously Moreno a better striker than Royval, but if Roy Val can introduce that craziness with the striking just as Moreno does and then mix it with his grappling as well, this fight will play out very, very close. So um, I am going to end up going with the Roy Val side here. Enough meat on the bone at plus 200 to take that money line, but I think that decision at plus 600 is sexy enough to take a little bit of a sprinkle. So give me Brandon Royval. Plus two hundred via decision. It's going to be a nail biter, but I think he can do enough to to get the positions he needs to win that fight. Co main event time, we got Cub Swanson cutting down to one hundred thirty five pounds for the first time in his career. 38 years old, not sure how well advised that is, but very interested to see how it pans out for him. He gets a solid prime time spot here as a plus 165 underdog, going up against rising contender Jonathan Martinez, who's coming in as a minus 195 favorite. Now, similar to Brandon Royval, Jonathan Martinez fights out at one of the better gyms in the United States, uh, Factory X, Muay Thai, and MMA, headed by my guy, Mark Montoya. I always have a soft spot for those guys because i have a solid relationship with mark in my opinion and i think that uh he does a very good job in terms of bringing out the best in his fighters similar to uh the aforementioned or somebody that i mentioned earlier in this podcast save sayud and fortis mma jonathan martinez great striker lengthy striker uses his combinations very well uses his kicks very well and in his last fight against vince morales we saw a different wrinkle from his game in terms of mixing in takedowns just to mix all of the martial arts to keep vince morales thinking now i think he only managed to accrue only about 40 seconds of control time on the mat which isn't the most impressive but seeing that he's trying to mix in takedowns it could make things uh you know a little bit hairier for swanson in in terms of what to think what's coming his way I, I, you know, at this stage, it's it's hard to go against Jonathan Martinez. But the thing that I have an issue with is, it seems like he can be cracked. It seems like he can be hurt. And Cub Swanson has shown that he can still go out there and crack and hurt people. So at plus 165, you know, he seems to be a very solid underdog spot that people can take advantage of, uh, given him his own unorthodox style of striking. And I think he only really needs to clip Jonathan Martinez a couple of times before he can expose that chin of his and possibly follow up with the finish of his own, um, Martinez knows how to stay safe right he uses his kicks very well to maintain that distance he uses those kicks to hurt his opponents uh, forearms and kind of make them think about that and he switches it very well from his from the legs to the body to the head. So it's a lot for Cub Swanson to think about, but this is one of the better opponents that Jonathan Martinez has faced, right? And anytime he takes steps up in competition, he does show flaws in his game. And I think that Swanson has enough experience under his belt to cause some issues for Jonathan Martinez in this spot. We've seen him hurt on plenty of occasions, even when he wins fights, but Cub Swanson might have that extra bit of zest on his shots, that extra bit of unorthodox with the strikes and his movement that it could cause Martinez some issues here. So Eileen Cub here, my only like reason I'd be sitting back and waiting on this line is uh his weight cut. Let's see how he looks at 135 pounds. Let's see if it was a good enough weight cut for him, right? I'm not I'm not expecting him to look, you know, smiling and happy and eyes full of joy when he steps on the scale, but I want to see one, if he makes the weight and two, like how drawn out does he actually look. Because if he looks good enough to me, plus 165 is a steal in my mind because I think this, this is going to be a competitive fight. Martinez is the perennial minus 200 favorite, but at certain spots you have to take, take a step back and look at the specific matchup. And I think this is, could be a very difficult matchup for him to deal with, especially if Swanson can come in there with his full facilities and the same power that we've grown uh, accustomed with him. So give me Cub Swanson, Swanson by knockout. He may be an underdog play for me, but let's, for, let's wait for the weigh-ins and see what we see on the scale first and then make our decision from there. But in terms of a prediction early in the week, I'm going to go Cub Swanson, Swanson by knockout. All right, that brings us to our main event. And I quickly want to remind everybody, make sure you hit that like, make sure you hit that subscribe. That is the easiest way to show your boys some support. And to go a step further, drop a comment below. Let me know what you think about my breakdown so far, whether you agree, whether you disagree. Try to keep it civil. Let's try to keep it civil in the comment section. That's what I always like, but make sure you guys hit that up. And then lastly, if you want to take it even step further than that, hit up the Patreon link in the description below. Five bucks a month, early access to these breakdowns, great Discord community, and a ton of other amazing perks. All right, let's get to this main event. We got a women's flyweight belt here. Alexa Grosso coming in as a minus 205 favorite, plus 175 the return on Viviani Araujo. Now, Viviani came into the UFC with a beautiful third round finish of Talita Bernardo in a fight where I really saw a tremendous amount of potential in her. And then I was kind of surprised to learn that she was uh, a little bit older in age. You know, she came into the MMA world uh, a little bit further along than most people. Uh, let me just get the age from her real quick here. She's 35 years old now, right? She's going up against an Alexa Grasso who's still on the come up, a, a fighter who's still looking to, to really assert herself as one of the best flyweights in the world. She's 29 years old, Alexa Grasso is. But let's start off on the Verrujo side. Solid striking, good power striking, really knows how to just uh, establish her range and just make her opponents work from that outside. Uh, She has good top pressure as well when she's able to get fights to the ground. But the big caveat in this fight, which I kind of, you know, makes me think it's going to not really work out the best for her, is the fact that this is five rounds and we've seen her slow down in the past. And Alexa Grasso, training at altitude, has shown that she has great cardio all you know 15 minutes that she's fought in the past never looked like she's ever been slowing down and i think that's going to allow her to even pull further ahead once these fights hit the the main event rounds uh, uh, Grasso I think she's a great striker I thought she was a better striker than Macy Barber which is why I bet her there um, you know I knew she was going to falter against the rest of Carlos Barza, which is why I faded her there so far I've bet almost every single Alexa Grasso fight correctly and I think that I'm going to be able to do the same thing here against Viviana Rujo this will be competitive for the first round and a half. So maybe even a live e- betting entry is viable here on Alexa Grasso. If you can wait, maybe get around minus 150, you can jump in, in that, at that spot. But I feel comfortable enough, even at this chalk of minus 200 pre-fight, that she should be durable enough to deal with the power of Aruja early and then start to take over probably in the second, third, fourth, and fifth round, possibly even finding a finish late in the fight too. I think she is the much better fighter overall, and the fact that she'll have the the footwork, the combination advantage, the youth advantage, the cardio advantage, she has almost every advantage in this fight, with maybe the exception of power. I think Arujo might have a little bit more power in her shots. That's probably her best way to win this, right? Props just dropped before recording this, or at least the main event props did, and you can get plus 1600 on Arujo by KO, which is not a bad hedge at all. Outside of that, though, I think we'll see Alexa Grosso control the majority of this fight. Again, first round, going to be close. But after that, I think we'll see the footworking combination uh, or combination striking of uh, Alexa Grosso really start to let her get further and further ahead of uh, uh, Arujo in this fight. Um, you guys know me. I'm the, the women's MMA whisperer. You know, my most profitable uh, spot is bidding, betting women's MMA. And I feel like I know when the best time is to take chalk and when the best time is to take the bigger underdog. We took the B- big underdog in the last women's M- main event with the Anjao Nan. But we're going to go with the chalky favorite this time around because I think Alexa Grosso, this is a perfect setup spot for her to go out there and establish herself in the main event and establish herself as one of the better 125ers out there as well. So give me Alexa Grosso um I'm gonna say via decision, which currently sits around plus 130. But if you have access to one of those bookies that allows you to bet rounds four or five decision, this is a prime spot to do that. I think you'll get a solid enough line to take that shot as well. Uh, but I think that will be the the best way to bet it. You know, Ruzia will start to slow down. uh Grasso will start to pick it up, and I think she could find that finish later, or she'll she'll eventually win this fight by decision. So let's go the Mexicano. Lexa Grasso via decision. All right. That is a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you haven't already, hit that like, hit that subscribe, drop a comment. You guys know what to do. Big week uh, ahead in terms of uh, content dropping for you guys, propping you up th- uh, on Thursday with Cody. Uh, Ultimate Wayne show on Friday. Fight day live chat on Saturday. And then obviously all through the week, Monday through Thursday, uh, MMA lock talk. Didn't do it during last week because... I really just want to take a step back, let my voice catch up with all the speaking that it's been doing over the last several weeks. But now I'm fully geared up, ready for this month straight of uh, events, five straight events I think we got coming up and we'll be right on top of it. Hopefully dropping breakdowns every Monday for you guys, just as I did with this one. All right, appreciate everybody. Appreciate all the love, appreciate all the support. Good luck this weekend and I'll see you guys throughout the week. Peace. I do